Welcome to the Pitching Backwards Lefties Get Loose Podcast. Here are your hosts, Griffin and Welly. Hi guys, welcome back to episode four of Pitching Backwards. Today we're joined by an 11-year big leaguer, two-time all-star who's making his Pitching Backwards debut today, Corey Hart. Corey, thanks for coming on. We're super excited to have you. Obviously, the first big leaguer that has joined the show and you know, this is this is a pretty surreal moment for Griff and I. So thanks for coming on. Oh, man, thanks for having me, guys. So I, I want to go back to when was the first time you realized that playing baseball for a living was a possibility? It's interesting. I don't know. Like uh, when I was a kid, I was still just like I guess any other kid. That's all I ever said I wanted to do. So I used to get in trouble in school because – I would actually get called to guidance counselors a few times because we would do like the career stuff in like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and I'd always say I was wanting to be a baseball player. They always told me I need to have a backup plan. Of course, you know when you're 13, 14, you don't realize that baseball is not for everyone. I guess you feel like if you want to do it, you're going to do it. So I think um, playing-wise, probably when after my sophomore year, I thought. This might be something I could do. Mm-hmm. Did you did you like have a backup plan? What were you gonna do if this didn't work out? I didn't have a backup plan. That was uh, baseball was realistically the only thing I ever wanted to do. The only thing I thought of. My dad was kind of a you know hardworking construction guy, and you know we kind of argued all the time. But I saw you know we kind of grew up uh, on the poor side of things, and. I guess to me, I was trying to do anything I can to, to better myself and to make sure I didn't have to struggle as much as I did. Mm-hmm. So, Corey, everything that we find says that you were also a highly touted basketball player in high school. Was yeah. there was there like a give and take there or a decision that you had to made as, make as far as, am I going to play baseball or am I going to play basketball? Or was that always clear cut? It's kind of funny. My dad kind of made that decision for me. <laughs> I think my dad decided that, uh, you know, I was 6'6". I was pretty athletic. But I think he, he was, you know, looked down the, in the long, I guess, the big picture of things. Like, you know, you might be pretty good, but future-wise, I don't know where you're going to be at. So I think he thought I had a better play, uh, future in baseball because for whatever reason, uh, so in college, I probably had uh, 50 or so like scholarships for basketball, and uh, he wouldn't let me open any of them. I had like uh, he had like a little bag of all my college letters and like stuff that he just kept aside, wouldn't let me even pay attention to it. And baseball was funny because I didn't really get recruited heavily for baseball. I think I had three Division One letters for baseball. That's it. Where did you get offered for for basketball? Do you remember? Like a lot of mid-major stuff, like all the, not Kentucky or Louisville, but all the, the rest of the Kentucky schools, I didn't get recruited by like Tennessee or Louisville, but, uh, or Tennessee or uh, Vanderbilt, but all the other Tennessee schools. So just kind of a lot of mid-major schools, I mean, a lot of really good D2 schools, and uh, kind of by any, any uh, mid-major you can think of, I was, but it helped me that I had a, I was pretty good, but we had a McDonald's All-American candidate on our team too. So he was 6'10", so they were, schools were always there. Mm-hmm. You know, we always talk about, I mean, I guess it's, it's the same thing for any, any sport. If uh, you have a kid that's, uh, 
heavily recruited, it's only going to help the rest of the kids. So I was always, I benefited big time because he was such a good player. The schools are always there, so they come to see him and then they leave going, man, that kid's pretty good too. <laughs> so you make this jump to baseball and you make the ultimate decision that that's what you're going to roll with. What were some of your personal goals as far as your professional baseball career goes? Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, I, I grew up extremely poor. So when I uh, I signed, you know, you look, I look back and you're like, you know, I thought I got off 45 grand. And I'm like, oh, man, that's awesome. That's more than my dad makes in a year. You know, so I was like, this is going to last forever. So that was gone in like a year. So I went and bought like, <laughs> you know, a car. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, crap, that's gone. Okay. And uh, so I just didn't even think about it. I was so, I was so naive to the the reality that baseball is hard not everybody makes it I just figured that I was I was pretty good at it I liked it I was figured I'd work hard to get as far as I wanted to so you know I always had these these ideas of if I ever make you know two million dollars I'm going to quit and you start a family or start coaching and all these then you, I start playing and realize that two million dollars are not going to last very long because everything that go, comes along with it and the expenses and that you know, the tax bracket that you become part of. And so, I don't know, I just, along the line, I just kind of fell in love with the process and just wanted to be there and being around the guys. And that part, that part never kind of, I guess, set in. The only thing that I guess I really was pretty certain of, I just was trying to get my full pension. Mm -hmm. I think I, I used to recruit or research a lot of things and, you know, realize that it's, it's really hard. So I think I kind of put money aside and everything else that comes with it. I was like, you know, if I can get, get to my, my full pension in my 10 years, and then, then I don't have to, I don't want to be one of those guys that plays for 20. Mm -hmm. when, when you look back on your career, what is it that you're most proud of? Uh, I mean, it's crazy, but I, uh, 2010 is probably my the most my best well it's one of my best years but it was my one of those years that was just such a roller coaster that that year was probably my best year and my the most I ever had to overcome because I, I had a really bad year in 2010 or nine and then I spring training that that season uh in 10 I we had our, our son was probably you know like three or four months old he just wasn't sleeping so I was I mean, I was a, a wreck. I sucked in spring. I had like 180. It was just one of those years. And um, I got called into the office like three days left of camp. And like the owners there, the GMs there, all our coaches are there. I'm like, oh, great. I'm getting released. Yeah, because that's usually what happens in those situations. So uh, I'm sitting there. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm gone. And they're like, well, you're, you're not doing very well. You didn't end very, you know, last year wasn't great. You're on. Because in baseball, the more you get, the more, the more you're paid, the, the more they expect, and the, the shorter the rope is. So I just, I had starting to get paid a little bit, so they were expecting more of me and my. I guess I had gone down a, a year and a half of not so good, so they were ready to get rid of me. So they actually asked uh, Jermaine Dye to come over and play and play right field. So I was like, all right, well, they're like, well, if he comes over, you're gone. I was like. Sweet. So I started, I started uh, looking for other jobs, basically. I started calling coaches I knew, and uh, my agent was kind of reaching out. So I, uh, anyway, he wouldn't come. Jermaine wouldn't come. He didn't want to play for our manager. 
and so I was stuck. So I started the year on the bench, actually. And then, because um, so we signed Jim Evans that year. So Jim started playing right, and I was just basically a platoon with him for the first two weeks. And then he gets hurt. And then I started playing, and I went off. And I had, that's the year I didn't make the all-star game in the year, but it was one of those years that I had to start showing up. I was showing up at the field at like 12 for like 7 o'clock games because I was trying to get extra work in. I was watching extra video. I was, you know, picking minds of my coaches and trying to find things that I did good when I was going well and trying to pick up things that would help me, you know, in this thing. Because, you know, my body kind of changed along the lines. I went from a fast guy to kind of a bigger, stronger guy. So things kind of had to develop. Anyway, it was one of those things that it was really rough in, I guess, April. <laughs> then I ended up getting a make an all-star team and sign a three-year extension that year. So that year was kind of the, the highlight of my career just because I had overcome so much and I came out on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I'm not mistaken, 2010, obviously a career year for you. You make the all-star game. You also participated in the home run derby that season. Is that correct? Yeah, I was in the home run derby that year. Can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, I, Griffin's probably mad at me because I've been talking about this so much. I have always wanted to ask a big league player what it feels like to hit a ball that you know is going like 100-plus feet over the fence. Like, I mean, you guys play baseball. I don't know if you, are, if you guys are hitters or not, but uh, I mean, there's really no same feeling you get with a metal bat. Like if you really square a ball up, yeah, but I guess it's, it depends on the person too. Like you know, you have to have a guy that's going to hit home run. So if you swing, you know, I know if I hit a ball on a sweet spot, it's going to go out of the park. So it's just one of those things that those guys, anybody that's home run derby, guys that bigger, stronger guys. I mean, you hit it, it's going to go. So you have those feelings where you you really don't feel it because you, you hit it so good. That's the kind of thing with the bat in home run derby. The big thing there is just you know those balls are so they're so hard. Like, big league baseballs are good anyway. I mean, they're, they're better than any baseball that's out there. And then you add the home run derby ball to it, and that's better than the big league baseball. So that's like hitting golf balls. I mean, you hit them and it's just like, oh, crap, that thing's going far. <laughs> what's what's the feel there? Like, there are thousands of people in that stadium expecting you to just hit as many home runs as you can. Like, how scary is that? It's intimidating. It's so funny because I – I, I, can't, I came in third, and I strictly came in third just because I had a good first round. And I never, you know, I was in a couple home run derbies in the, the minor leagues, and I hit like one or two. I was like, all right, great. So I'm like, and of course, I'm going up there. I'm like, as long as I hit one, I'm okay. I don't want to get a shutout. And then, like, I think my second swing, I hit a home run, and then I started hitting a bunch of home runs. But uh, it's just such a different feeling. You're not used to hitting with, uh, you know, open. You're always used to having the, the turtle over your head, and, you know, so the cage. Mm-hmm. So when you take everything away, I think that's more, to me, that's the challenge versus uh, the fans. I mean, you have a lot, a lot of eyeballs on you, but at the same time, you just you never go out there and hit without a cage on you. So it's, a, it's just a different feeling for the players. And, you know, of course, me, I led the, I think I was leading the, like, after the first round, I had the most. And then I had, like, a two-hour wait. Oh. So I was hitting every 20 minutes. Me and my coach would go, we'd go in the, the downstairs in the cage and I would hit for, you know, 15 minutes or so. Then we'd take a break. So I think by the time I actually got my second round in, I didn't hit any. I was so tired. <laughs> but I mean, I was trying to, I didn't want to be like, I didn't want to be that guy that was, 
no repairs. I was kind of overdid it, and then my body just was gone. So I'm like, awesome. I went like 13, one round, and I had a bunch of line drives second round. So I was just <laughs> So one thing that we've kind of been talking about the last few weeks is, I guess, the current state of baseball and, and what could happen this summer. Um, is it is it reasonable, as a former big leaguer, is it reasonable to play without contact without without a pay cut with a reduced season is that doable i think it is i think it's it depends on the person i mean it's, it's tough because the fans are not going to see it that way but i think if i'm playing right now i still i still want to play that you know because i would see the, the big picture i think baseball has a chance to really take off and get more fans because they're you know the one major sport that would be on TV right now. So I think people are so, you know, eager to just watch sports and watch, you know, people compete that baseball would have that chance. But on the other side, you know, guys that if they're trying to say they're not going to play because they, you know, want to take a pay cut, then it's just going to, you know, give a black a black eye to the sport. So I'm kind of rooting for guys to just kind of sack a sack up a little bit and just play. But I I do understand the fact that you know some guys that a contract, you know, they feel like they earned this much money. Maybe they take a pay cut, but if they give that money to them down the road, I think that's something that needs to be talked about. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're still playing right now, you're absolutely like no hesitation. You want to play this summer? Yes. Mm-hmm. And, but I think I, more so because you know the the country needs it. I mean, I think base, baseball is something they definitely could uh, to be a highlight of the country right now. And it would bring more fans, and I would look look at that aspect. But I do understand the contract part of it. Like, I mean, if, if a guy's never been paid and he earned a, a certain paycheck this year, it's hard to like be like, "Well, I earned this kind of. I earned it. I never, I never got paid before. Now this is sitting here waiting for me." And I thought, you know, I know that's that's the I guess the issue because you know baseball only lasts for so long, so you only have so many uh, years of getting paid well. Exactly. Yeah. So, Corey, something you mentioned that I kind of want to go back to. You said that you think that in the current state of everything, that the game could be grown because everybody wants to watch the sport. And that's something that Griffin and I have talked about a little bit with all the KBO type stuff going on. So so you you think that people are so eager to watch sports right now that they would fall in love with baseball? Yeah, I think what's well, that's what I'm saying. I think baseball is either going to take off or it's going to sort of give it a black eye and they're going to lose some fans because of the situation. Because, you know, people are losing jobs and there's so, so much uncertainty. So when you have, you know, if you hear big league guys talking about, I'm, I'm not going to play for this much money, which is still a lot of money, especially for somebody who lost their job. So I think that would, that's going to be an issue. But at the same time, if they do play, it's going to make them look good, and it's going to just set the world kind of in a, in a faster pace. I mean, people are so eager to watch anything. Like, my dad calls me nonstop, talk about how bad, you know, sports are. You watch Cornhole Tournament or you know, <laughs> watch some some throwing tournament. It's like, I hate it. I just caught watching these things that I've never paid attention to in my life. So he's like, he's like that's going to happen with baseball. I mean, even if basketball fans... Or at home right now and baseball's on and people are going to watch it they want to watch guys compete yeah absolutely so what about like 
Can you imagine a sport like baseball this summer where the latest is like you can't high five, you can't hug, you can't spit. There will be no like bench clearing brawls. Like, can you can you imagine how how will that even work? Uh, I mean, I think it's, it's it's very good on paper to say that, but once say once guys get out there and start competing with each other and against each other, as long as you know, guys testosterone's gonna set in eventually. <laughs> <clears throat> somebody's gonna think somebody's throwing throw at them, or somebody's gonna get have a bad day and then get hit, and then ultimately think that that was on purpose, and then take it the wrong way. But um, I don't know. I think it's it's good to. I think they're trying to get on, get out there just any way they can, and that's more so not necessarily just to play, but it's more more so that they, I think even baseball realizes that the country needs sports and they have the chance to to be that that first one to take that step. So I think they're trying to do everything for that. But once it's out there, I mean, if you can't high five or bear hug or whatever, I mean, cameras aren't in the locker room, so I'm sure once. They'll, they'll have guys will come up with something. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, guys, the first home run, you, the locker room, the dugout's going to be empty, and guys are going to have to run in and do, like, you know, the little chants and the, the little dances inside the <laughs> locker room where nobody's watching. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to have to get creative, that's for sure. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a Tigers fan, and um, in 2007, Justin Verlander no-hit the Milwaukee Brewers. You were on that team. You actually almost broke up the no-hitter in the seventh inning. Um, as as a hitter, at what point do you realize that a pitcher is completely locked in? You know, it's funny because those aren't necessarily the. Of course, that wasn't a fun day, but um, <laughs> but I mean, some guys. I mean, even even when guys don't get no hitters, you have those days where like, man, this guy's tough. So I mean, he's that was one of those games where. I think his last pitch of the game was 101, I think. He was throwing really hard. That It was that time of the day. It was like a 3 o'clock game, I think. So the, there were shadows everywhere. There was birds everywhere. It was just, man, of course, and he was, he was throwing really well. But I think, you know, they've just stuck guys. If they have any kind of luck at all, they have a chance to throw no hitter if they feel good that day. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, the calls out there, the – you know, obviously Verlanders and Kershaw's and what's the guy from Dodger Bueller, Burley, whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'll butcher that, but him and DeGrom and those guys, they can do that. I mean, they have the ability, like Scherzer, I'm sure if Scherzer's on that day and he had, and guys make a few plays behind him and he has a good strike zone, he's got a shot to throw no hitter that day. And uh, I, we talk about the no hitter all the time. I was actually talking to Prince the other day. You know, it's just funny. We laugh about certain things and that's one thing that comes up a lot and uh Tony Graffin, who was one of our, our, our favorite teammates of all time, and he struck out and halfway through the game. But there were these huge seagulls on the field, uh, like almost the whole game. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, between home plate and uh, the pitcher mound, there was probably 10 birds. And uh, I think Graffin had a 1 2 count, and Verlander uh, <laughs> threw a curveball. And as soon as uh, he goes through his motion to throw it, and like right, you know, right when he's at his release point, uh, the birds take off. So, uh, and you can sleep. I mean, we would slow it down all the time and laugh at Tony. Like, <laughs> and the birds take off. So, Tony starts swinging at the birds. Yeah. Like, you know, white. And all of a sudden, you know, Burley up there a curveball that he literally misses it by eight feet. <laughs> but it was so funny. And that's, but that was just today. Like, there was birds, there was birds in center field. So, as soon as, uh, 
the perennial throw, you would see these birds go up. It was just, it was like a perfect storm for a guy that's really good. And he was on that day. And like I said, I, you know, they made a few, didn't have to make a few plays because he wasn't, he was pretty unhittable. I think I hit one to right that Ordonez kind of slid and caught. Yep, in the seventh inning. I actually just watched that the other day. Griffin always talks about that play. And when we heard you were coming on, the first thing he told me is like, I remember Corey Hart almost broke up the no-hitter and Mags slid in right field. Like, he said it exactly how you did. So I, mean, it sucks. I, was, I was seven years old. If you broke that up, I was going to be mad at you for the rest of my life. <laughs> so let's let's flip the narrative here for a second. You have a guy who has a day like Verlander had that day. But let's not forget that you had 15 multi-home run games in your career. Is there a point in preparing for your day that you know, I'm going to tag a couple baseballs today? Well, I think, uh, give me yes and no. I mean, I think uh, we would play, you know, you're, so, you're playing certain people, you know, certain teams, certain guys that you see, you know, that you see better than others. You know, sometimes you just feel good. Like uh, one of my, I had a really good game against Roy Halladay in you know, in Philly. Who's you know, obviously he's a Hall of Famer and mm-hmm. he's amazing. But I faced him on one of those weeks where the ball was really big. <laughs> you know, so I had a, had a two two homer game, and he used to yell at me because we had the same agent. But um, that's one of those things. Like you know, certain guys, certain you know, some guys. It's just it's part of those stretches where you know if, as a pitcher or a hitter like some days you just you know you have those stretches where you're locked in you know I went through plenty of stretches where I was you know big league guys they're very intelligent uh, you know that the baseball IQ part of the game so they it's all you know it's all research it's all like guessing it's, they're just really good at guessing I mean the only way to hit those guys is to, to have educated guesses and you know, most home runs by guys are educated guesses. Like, you know, guys are going to strike out looking, and they're like, "What are you? What are you doing?" And they're like, "Well, I was looking for something else." Yeah. And that's and that's the reality of the game. Is like to hit the big league pitching consistently, you have to guess. So, I mean, you have you go in your mind, and you just try to research, and you try to have give yourself as much information as you can. So, when you feel like you have that information really well and you're seeing the ball really well those stretches and they're going to be good you know you're going to have those good days mm-hmm. and some days are just lucky you're like I don't know what the hell happened <laughs> <laughs> it's better to be lucky than good sometimes right <laughs> yeah right so and I had a, sorry go, uh, just to tag along with that like I had a game in 2011 it was the only three home run game I ever had and um, was, it was my I had, it, was, it was May 23rd I didn't even I didn't have home run yet I started the season on the disabled list because I tore my uh, my oblique in spring training. So I missed the first month of the season. And I come back and I'm like, you know, three weeks in or maybe four weeks in after coming off, free, off rehab. And I was hitting like 230 with like two or three RBIs, no home runs, no extra base hits. Just feeling like crap. I'm like, oh, that's terrible. And then, you know, what, they had three home runs and seven RBIs. That, and it just all of a sudden I, I went from – started the game feeling like I'm going to get released to, oh, this is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> in 2011 was a good year for your Brewers too. Yeah, that was a good year. That was, that was uh, fun. Mm-hmm. So, it was fun to win games. <laughs> <laughs> you were inducted onto slash into 
the Brewers Wall of Fame. Can you take us back to that day and tell us, you know, what that meant to you? Well, man, you know, it was a lot. It was emotional. It was, it was kid that I grew up, you know, said I grew up really poor. I grew up, you know, wanting my dad and my parents were pretty good at, you know, making sure I was on the field and I had the things I needed. But the Brewers were the, you know, to me, the Brewers were the, you know, the guys that, made me who I am, you know, my work ethic and everything came from my dad, but the Brewers just were always there to give me opportunities and to push me to, to be better. You know, so I, it was, a, you know, it wasn't just the big league guys. It was the guys in the minor leagues and the clubhouse guys and trainers that the whole organization itself just kind of made our family what it is. So, I mean, it's, so it means a lot to be part of that forever. And, you know, it's one of those things that, I'm never going to work for anybody but Milwaukee, so I'm either going to coach high school or club baseball or be involved with the Brewers somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you kind of still keep tabs on the Brewers, and I know you're in Milwaukee frequently. They have a generational talent right now in Christian Yelich. Is there a player that you played with or against in your career that you could compare him to? Uh, Pujols, which is crazy because I hated Pujols. And I, <laughs> not, that, not that I hated him, I just hated how good he was. You know, I'm like, our our nemesis when I was playing it wasn't it when I was playing it wasn't the Chicago it wasn't Chicago really it was St. Louis so and you just I mean he was so good those, those 11 years in St. Louis were some of the you know at that point it was it's gotta be some of the best 11 year stretches of all time and we just had to play him all the time and he was, he actually was a nice guy but the fact that he was just so good and he always came up in these situations and just nothing bothered him so it was like he just—he was always a thorn, just like I'm sure Yelich is to a lot of teams because he just seems to come up in situations, and more times than not, he, he gets it done. Mm-hmm. I just love watching Yelich hit. He's got such a pure swing, and he carries himself so calmly. And that collected—you just feel like he's going to get it done. The cool, the cool thing about him is like he evolved. Yeah, you know I mean, like, he was a good hitter in Miami. But he wasn't a power guy. He was just an, an average guy, like a doubles guy. And did you, did you guys ever see that thing he talked about, Barry? No, I don't think so. He, he did a thing with Barry because you know Bonds was his hitting coach mm-hmm. his last year in Miami, mm-hmm. and uh, that was his. But you know, at the time, that was that would that became his best uh, power year. But still, wasn't like he, he's had lately. But he just talks about how he changed. Uh, He's like, you know, somebody that's hit that many home runs is going to talk to you about hitting, you're going to listen to him. And he just, Barry's thought process and what he started making Christian do is just like crazy, but it, it works. Like he's, he's talked about how, he, like, he, you know, he wanted to hit him up. He was doing soft toss or something, and he wanted to take, he's like, hit the next six pitches off the top of the plate. And he's like, all right, then hit the next four, three feet out in front. He, he just wanted him to see the, the feeling of getting on top and then realizing once you start getting back on the baseball and your, your, your contact point, he wanted Christian to start hitting the ball more out front instead of hitting so deep. And uh, it, it all evolved into, of course, what he is now. And he said he just he went from seeing the ball really deep to you know kind of shooting the ball around to catching out front way more and how much more leverage he gets when he does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brewer fans are lucky, to say the least. <laughs> that was a pretty good trade. Actually, um, that was you look back at that trade and you're like, how did that ever happen? <laughs> <laughs> how was that allowed to happen? Yes. Oh no, 
I actually remember watching Yelich's first game. And it was, I think they had put it on MLB Network because he was, you know, so highly touted and such a great profile. And I remember just watching him and thinking like, this dude is like skinny as a rail and has one of the prettiest swings. You know, it's just beautiful to watch him swing a bat. And like, obviously, you know, you, you touched on it, that the evolution of how much better he's gotten has just been, you know, he's easily one of my favorite players. And I, you know, I'm not a Brewers fan and it, it is cool that he can have that representation across the MLB. Mm-hmm. I think well, it helps. I mean, helps is a nice guy. You know, the Brewers are kind of a blue, blue collar team where, you know, you, you guys that are grinding out and I think, you know, he's easily one of the top five hitters in baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's getting, he's getting paid and he took a, to me, like, you know, all these guys are getting paid $300 million or so. They're, they're the high twos and uh, he, he signed for like 180. You know, so he didn't break. He didn't go out there and try to break any. You know, break the bank for. He didn't want to leave. He, he was. He loves Milwaukee. So, you know, why not take? He's still getting paid a lot of money. So he's getting paid a lot of money for a place he wants to be at versus, you know, going somewhere where he's unfamiliar and he hope he hopes he likes it just by. But he's getting paid more. So I think it was kind of cool for him to to take a pay cut and stay in Milwaukee as long as he has. So Corey. You're a coach out here in Arizona, coaching your son. How how important is that to you? It's it's I'm on the fence with it. How about that? So I've always enjoyed. So I went. So I'm actually enjoying not coaching right now. I'm because I make my me and my me and my kid work out all the time. So that's kind of fun for me. But uh, I started coaching just you know because I I wanted to. I felt like I was. I had a lot to teach him and uh, his friends. And now it's, I'm kind of at the point where I keep telling him, if, I, if he doesn't want me to do it, tell me so I can leave. Because it, it really wouldn't hurt my sons. I want him to to be comfortable, and I want him to succeed the way he wants to succeed. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's I think it helps. Some some kids love it when their dad's there coaching. And, you know, like, I have a, a good background, and I could, you know, teach him some stuff. But... At the same time, if, it, if it's something that would make him uncomfortable or he just doesn't like it because, you know, it, it is never fun. Sometimes it's not fun dad being a high school coach with your peers around, you know, because he's going to get some crap for it. So I always tell him if he doesn't want it, I don't have to do it. I have no problem sitting in the stands and, you know, cheering him on. But for some reason, you know, for, as of now, he likes it. So I'm still waiting for that day to, for him to stop it, the kind of stuff. But as in you know how it is important for me to be around him so he, even if i you know for some reason he says next year i don't i don't want you to coach me okay i don't like it anymore that's that still wouldn't stop I, I might stop coaching him at the level but when he's home you know if he wants to play video games he has to go to the gym with me you know i mean so I, I said i'm kind of the dad where i set up stuff so he has things monday through saturday so if he wants to do what you know the extra stuff he wants to do the fortnights and what else kids are doing these days he's got to do the he's got to do some other stuff like work out do some strength stuff and maybe head in the cage or you know we might have to throw a bullpen or something but mm-hmm. I make sure that you know he enjoy. I mean he does enjoy it but it's easy for kids to push that stuff aside because their friends are doing something at the moment so I'm like well if you want to play with your friends that's what we're doing first mm-hmm yeah, so we have we kind of have a few more questions for you. Um, we're going to do a thing called a power minute. We're going to put 60 seconds 
on the clock. We're going to time it. And we have a few rapid questions for you to answer as many as you can in under a minute. So we're going to start the clock. Kyle, you're going to take it away. I'll take it. Are you ready, Corey? I'm on it, dude. All right, here we go. First one is a trivia question. Which pitcher did you hit the most home runs off of in your career? Uh, Adam Wainwright. Nope. You got Tom Gorzolani, you hit four off of him. Tom Gorzolani. Oh. <laughs> Wainwright, you hit three, I believe. Three, that's close. Yeah, I know yeah. I hit at least three off him. Yeah. So. Okay, that's who did close. you hate facing? Is there any pitcher that you hated hitting against? Uh, I hated facing Carlos uh, Marmol. Is that how you say it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I hated facing that guy. I actually hated facing Jeff Carson's. Okay, on the flip side, who did you love hitting against? I loved hitting off of uh, Wandy Rodriguez, <laughs> Brandy Br- Backey, Roy Oswald, Tim okay. Hudson. There's some guys that, I mean, some of those guys are good, but some guys you can see better than others. Mm-hmm. Favorite ballpark to play in? I like going to Pittsburgh. Favorite ballpark Pittsburgh. food? Ballpark food? Yeah. Philly's cheesesteaks. Nice. We're putting another 60 seconds on the clock because these are good. LeBron or Michael Jordan? Michael. (laughs) (laughs) What position did you not play that you wish you did? Pitcher. Really? That's interesting. Okay. Funniest teammate you ever played with? Funniest? uh, Tom Williamson. Love that guy. One of my Dude, favorite players. Fine, <laughs> he's the, an Arizona guy, too. The bartender, yep. Okay, um, best-dressed teammate. Best-dressed teammate. Uh, Robinson Cano. Ooh, suave. Most, he might be a most annoying teammate, too. <laughs> okay, worst-dressed teammate. Ben Sheets. Ben Sheets, oh, wow. Interesting. Okay, f- your favorite player growing up. My favorite player, uh, Cal Ripken. Okay. okay. Favorite guy to watch now? Favorite guy, I like watching Trout. There we go. Okay. And then last but certainly not least, guy, question we've been asking for a while. Who is your favorite swing of all time? King Griffey Jr. There we go. My man. <laughs> I knew you'd come through for me, Corey. <laughs> well, Corey, thank you. so easy. Thank you so much. That's that's all that you answered all of our questions. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it and we really enjoyed talking with you. Not many time, guys. Really enjoyed. Thanks, Corey. Thank you so much for tuning into Pitching Backwards. Lefties get loose. A podcast about all things baseball. Give us a follow on Twitter at pitching BCKWRDS and join us in loving America's pastime.